Backyard Green Films is proud to present this episode of Agriculture with your host, Alara Bowman. Alara and her husband, Rick, travel throughout the land in their travel trailer, which they have nicknamed Bessie, bringing you stories about their travels and the people they meet. They visit farmers, ranchers, and just about anyone who loves putting their hands in the dirt or their feet in stirrups. In those travels, they have gotten to meet some very interesting people. Here's one of those interviews. Hi, this is Alara. Welcome back to our podcast. Horse Progress Days 2021 was a fun one for us. So, we're bringing you more from our early July adventure in the low hills and green fields of Mount Hope, Ohio. If you listened to our podcast last week, you met Daniel Wengard, the general coordinator for this fabulous event, and probably got some idea of the logistical task for which that man decided to volunteer. Or got volunteered. I don't know quite which. But either way, it was a pretty big undertaking. But there's more to Horse Progress Days than the name implies, because it's not just about horses, or field equipment, or manure, or all of those things that make my world go round. It's also about food production. Now, food is a necessity, sure. We need sustenance in order to live. But sustenance comes in many forms, not just related to nutrition. I have to admit that in my busy life, sometimes food becomes something I shove in my mouth so my stomach doesn't growl at me. But it should be much more than that. If you read authors like Michael Pollan, you've learned that there's a distinct possibility that how we eat our food is as important as what we put in our mouths. Nutrients might be absorbed differently when we treat our food as a community experience instead of just sustenance. Life was like that in my house growing up, even though I didn't always appreciate it at the time. My family was one of those environments that ran like 1960s TV shows. Dad worked all day at the office or the hospital. My mom quit her job as a teacher when she got married and settled down to bear and raise three kids, and my dad, from there onward. It was extremely fulfilling for both of them to live that way, though many people might not see it that way from the outside. They were products of their times, and both were used to men working away from home as the breadwinners, and women working at home to make the bread. It sounds horrific to my 16-year-old niece, but there you are. But my mom had a rare talent for that particular job, and she did it really, really well. It's not a job for sissies, so she was exhausted for about 30 years straight without a break, but she was the CEO of Homemaking Excellence. It takes a rare skill to make it look so easy and yet be so underappreciated at the same time. My mom could have been said to be a combination of a few different TV and movie moms. She was June Cleaver, with kids organized and on time at the dinner table every night at 6 p.m. when my dad came home from work. She was a teacher before she became a homemaker and would constantly insert some truly imaginative and creative learning ideas into daily life so we could incorporate that in our young learning curves way before that kind of thing became the norm. So she was a bit of Mary Poppins as well. And she always had a knack for adding the homemaking touch with things like fresh flowers on the table, which, by the way, was always, always set with knives, forks, and spoons in the correct order. So there was some of Martha Stewart in there, without the insider trading thing. She learned all of her homemaking skills at the cradle from her mother. And not only was my mom a wonderful seamstress and a beautiful knitter, but she had that whole basic skills cooking thing down pat. She did a killer potato salad, and we lived on homemade bread and granola and jam, canned veggies and fruits, 
and every combination of zucchini that she could put together. Remember Forrest Gump? Fried zucchini, baked zucchini, zucchini bread, zucchini pancakes, zucchini fritters. My mom was a bit of a health nut, too. She always believed in healthy whole foods, but then she married a Seventh-day Adventist and had three kids, which put her granola lady health nut compulsion right off the charts. I don't know if you know much about Adventism, but they're really big into a healthy lifestyle. When I grew up in the 1960s and 70s, it was a huge part of daily practice in the community. Loma Linda, California has a monstrously large healthcare system that's known across the country, and you can thank the Seventh-day Adventists for that. Remember baby Faye in the heart transplant? Loma Linda. Pretty progressive stuff back then. Loma Linda University Med School was why my dad came to California from the East Coast, although it looked much different in the 1930s, I'm sure. Used to be solid orange groves, and now it's hard to find many at all. But health was really big in the Adventist universe, and they were ahead of their time in terms of some of the things we think are common medical knowledge now. Many of them were vegetarians. Most didn't drink alcohol or smoke. They believed that processed foods and lots of meat would be detrimental to a person's health. These lifestyle practices were such widespread behavior with Adventists that they had an effect on longevity and disease rates. Long-term studies have shown that statistics on major health issues like cancer, diabetes, and heart disease were markedly reduced in the Adventist community versus the general population. I've included the links in the intro if you want to find out more on the specifics of the Adventist health studies for yourself, but it's some interesting reading. In any case, my mom was into the cooking for health thing with full gusto. Always had a balanced meal on the table, always with veggies, and all the food groups. For one personally painful two-year period, we actually went full-on vegetarian in our household. My dad, the part-time cattle rancher, agreed to the no-meat thing in a peaceable manner, which reiterated his commitment to the health concept. But none of the kids were driving age at that time, so it wasn't until about a year later that we found out he was going to the Swedish smorgasbord at lunch every day for meatballs and beef stew. He was an adherent to the health principles, of course, but he drew the line at ridiculously unreasonable. When you're young, you don't always appreciate a school lunch bag full of thick-sliced homemade wheat bread with sharp cheddar cheese, coupled with a V8 and celery sticks. I tried to trade with my friend on a daily basis, whose grandma would pack her a Wonder Bread and Bologna or PB&J sandwich with, joy of joys, a ding-dong for dessert. No luck on that trade. Ever. You might also not appreciate the joys of a fresh tomato straight out of the garden, or associate fresh green beans with anything other than the picking they represented. But the biggest thing I didn't appreciate until later was the sitting down part, the enrichment part that has less to do with the food and more to do with how you ingest it. That magical thing that happens when people sit down and break bread together. My mom excelled at making that happen, and she was adamant that the food she put in front of us was not only healthy for our bodies and minds, but that it was something that would foster community. Last week, we talked about our visit to Horse Progress Days and the Plain People, and about simplicity and complexity, about people working together and working to make a community more whole, regardless of what they do. And food is at the center of the best of it. So in the spirit of all that, and in the spirit of my famously bread-baking mother, we're going to feature an author named Glenda Groff, whom we met in the Homemaker Barn at Horse Progress Days. In addition to writing the blog site named Around the Family Table, 
This hardworking lady has recently written a cookbook, also called Around the Family Table, published by Little Mountain Printing. Lots of very healthy, non-processed foods, heavy on the comfort and the taste, and all of them perfect to eat with relish and with those you love. Nouns and verbs on the relish part apply on this one. Glenda specializes in sourdough recipes, and she says that if you try nothing else in the sourdough-making universe, try it in homemade pizza dough. It's right there on page 40 for all of you who might want to try it. And I'll leave you with a quick brain teaser before we get to our interview. When you think about it, sourdough is more like farming than cooking in some ways. You start it, you feed it, you nurture it constantly, and it's teeming with life, ready for harvest. Think about that one. Hmm. Homemakers are also farmers, really. That's another job to add to the 467 in the job description. Glenda has given us her kind permission to read both the introduction to her cookbook, Around the Family Table, and also her most popular blog recipe for no-need whole wheat sourdough bread, which is published on her blog. Stay tuned after her interview for that podcast extra. We hope you enjoy our conversation with Glenda Groff, homemaker extraordinaire. And we also hope you visit the Around the Family Table blog site for yourself. Here's Glenda. Hi. Hello. We are here at Harsh Progress Days 2021. Would you tell, introduce yourself and tell me what you're doing here? My name is Glenda Groff. I'm a mother of eight children. Today is actually our 33rd wedding anniversary. <laughs> Congratulations. So, uh, yeah, I'm here to do a sourdough demonstration. My sourdough starter here is eight years old. I just actually fed it now. Um, Sounds and like a I, pet. And, well, you only feed it when you want to use it. So it can, it can live in the fridge. Mine does. And I only feed it when I want to use it. Um, all this bread is made with sourdough starter. This one I made in the demonstration. This is artesian sourdough. And, that was, and then my cookbook tells you how to feed and care for your starter and also how to make these products. I, no, it does. It sounds like a little a pet or an animal. It, does it kind of get to that point where you're... Well, I don't even think of that anymore. I'm just so used to doing it. I, like I said, I feed it when I want to use it. So, yeah. <laughs> now, tell me why sourdough is different than other bread. When you use sourdough starter in bread products, it ferments the dough. It... Uh, breaks down the phytic acid, which your body can digest the bread products better. So it, it does make it easier to digest, it it's easier. not just tastier? No, it just makes it, it does make it easier for your body to digest, and the nutrients are, easy, are easier, more readily available, put it that way. Now, I'm having you hold up your cookbook because we did buy one of those. You have a, you use a lot of sourdough in your, yes. in your cookbook, Yes, the first, in, inside here, the first, uh, I'm not sure how many recipes, is it like 40 or 50, all use sourdough starter. Sourdough in waffles. Now, why, waffles. what does that do to waffles as opposed to regular plain waffles it just, no the, sourdough? Yeah, it just makes them tastier, I think so. So that batter I mix and I will put in the refrigerator overnight and the next morning I add my baking soda to it and I make my waffles. So what things are particularly yummy with sourdough? They, people pizza. don't necessarily, pizza, I don't associate that necessarily, pizza. but I guess it is, doesn't it? Pizza is one of the best things that I would say to make with sourdough. Um, if you have a starter and do nothing else but pizza, I would keep one just for that. That's very yeah. interesting. Now, is that a whole lot of work to make to make things like that? Not really. And you just mix them. Like here's the pizza recipe. You just mix them, mix the dough on a couple hours on the head, 
and let it set and ferment. You can actually put this in the refrigerator and bake it the next day. See, now I'm looking at the ingredients list. That's, that that kind of looks like something I could do, and I don't, I'm not a good yeah, cook. This is very easy. You just mix this together with a spoon, and you can put a lid on and put it right in the fridge and make it bake it the next day. That's that looks fantastic. Okay, well, so now I've got things that I've got to do with the right. cookbook. Now I have to buy two, because one for my nephew, now one for me, too. Yeah, but like I said, pizza is one of the best things to make with, with sourdough. Mm -hmm. Now, did you make all the things here I that did. we're looking at? Yes, this I sort of them. looks like something you buy out of a kitchen catalog yeah. where you want it to look I buy, perfect. I made all this probably this week. I also made noodles, sourdough noodles. You were talking about that earlier, so, yeah. sourdough noodles. Right, mm-hmm. So what does that do with it? it does does well, it have I, the same taste? It, it basically has the same noodle taste, but I mix the dough and put it in the fridge and just let it ferment overnight, you know, and then I make, and then I roll my noodles out and then I dry them so that I can store them like this without being refrigerated or frozen. And then whenever ever I want to use them, I just can use them. Okay, now with sourdough, do you need to have a specific kind of flour? I am partial to this type of flour, King Arthur bread flour. I've heard of that it one. It is unbleached. It is one of the best flours on the market. This is the only flour I use to feed my starter. Yes, because I, if you're developing something like yes. this over time, you don't I've tried it. different kinds of flours, and I always go back to this one. And that is the best flour that you can buy to make the feed your starter. Okay, well, I, this is, I was looking, looks delicious. But you have other things in that book other than yes, sourdough. Yes, Tell me about some of those. There things. is all kinds of... There's grilling recipes, there's butchering recipes, there's sugar-free canning and preserving. There's anything that you want to make, desserts, all kinds of things. Main dishes, meats, just anything. Yeah, the sugar-free is nice too. My yes. mom didn't use a whole lot of sugar or any artificial things in right. her recipes. And most, it has a whole different taste. It, most of these are sweetened with stevia and erythritol. When you blend the two, it tastes just about like sugar. It's very hard to detect. And so those are the two that I use. Fantastic. Now tell me a little bit about the seminar you did. We uh, did a se the seminar. We t showed you how to feed a starter, how to mix a bread, how to knead it with using stretch and folds. Basically kind of a troubleshooting and we showed you how to shape the bread, slash it and bake it. Wonderful. And now you, are you going to do any more or are you just going to relax? Two, and well, tomorrow we do the same <laughs> thing over again. Yeah. Basically well, the same seminar. And it was very popular from what I it saw. Seemed, so. It appeared to be, yes. Now, if people want to find you, how do they find you and your products? Okay, we ha I have a blog page. I have a, a Facebook page, Instagram, website. Yeah. And everything is listed in my cookbook, where to find it. Okay, where wonderful. To find you. Mm -hmm. So we can read that on the front. Right. Mm -hmm. All right. And then we handed out papers today, which has... It has a, a code on you can just scan with your phone and it'll take you directly to the website. Wonderful. Well, thank you so okay. much for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you. You're quite welcome. Here's the introduction from Around the Family Table by Glenda Groff. We, as Mennonite people, are well known for our love of cooking and our bountiful set tables. It is only when you begin to work with very strict dietary needs that you realize how much food is wrapped around every aspect of our life. My introduction to cooking began as a young girl spending many hours with my old order Mennonite grandmother. She was quite faithful in her weekly baking of bread and lard cookies, which we were allowed to help with. My mother, at various times in my growing up years, worked away from home, and I was only too glad to be in charge of the kitchen. My husband and I were married on July 2, 1988. Three years into our marriage, we were blessed with our second child, a son Jordan. 
As we held our newborn son, little did we realize that his body housed a potentially fatal metabolic disease called classic maple syrup disease, or branch-chain ketoacidoria. This disease is commonly found in the Old Order Mennonites and their descendants. MSD, undiagnosed and untreated, will result in death between two to three weeks of age. It is an extremely difficult disease to manage and is controlled by costly prescription formula and specialized low-protein foods. Many children and adults live impaired lives because of improper diagnosis and treatment. Mental and physical handicaps are very common among affected older persons. Jordan was diagnosed at seven days old through newborn screening and hospitalized in a large city hospital with brain edema and elevated amino acid levels. This began our journey into the medical world with many doctor visits and hospital stays. Broken bones and childhood illnesses required very careful monitoring as blood levels fluctuating can cause varied degrees of swelling in the brain, leading to complications and death. As a two-year-old, Jordan spent 100-plus days in the hospital and was the first MSD child to survive severe cerebral brain edema complications. He had numerous broken bones and hospital stays after that, but never with those complications. My love of cooking was a plus, as Jordan's dietary needs changed constantly as he grew. Starchy vegetables were very limited due to their higher protein count, and eggs, milk, nuts, and meat products were strictly off-limits. Baked items were made with wheat, potato, and rice starch, and required additions of psyllium fiber and stabilizers. Costly, specialty low-protein food items had to be used daily to keep under the required protein intake. We, as a family, learned to eat many salads and non-starchy vegetables to accommodate Jordan's special diet. For about 18 years, as food editor of the MSD newsletter, I worked closely with dietitians from Emory University as I learned to calculate food values and make new recipes for this very difficult diet. In dietary terms, to keep Jordan's blood level in proper range as a young adult, he consumed food equal to 10 grams of protein a day. An egg has 6 grams of protein. A daily diet consisted of 64 ounces of formula, 10 grams of protein through certain vegetables, fruits, and enough specialized food to equal 2,000 calories. If he did not receive enough calories, his body would pull protein from his muscles, resulting in metabolic decompensation. Any type of strenuous activity could lead to elevated levels. A handful more of potato chips than what he was allowed would elevate his blood level. Our second daughter, Wendy, was born with a cleft lip, an alveolar cleft requiring multiple surgeries and dental braces. This required learning an entirely new set of doctors and hospitals, and God walked with us each step of the journey. In 2012, I found the Trim Healthy Mama diet plan as I was looking for help with weight loss and for health reasons. I used my knowledge of diet to rework old familiar favorites to more healthy options. I gradually cut out sugar, etc., and replaced it with healthier options. It is better to do a diet change when children are young, but it can be done when they're older although it does require some time for taste buds and our bodies to adjust. My dear late grandmother had taught me how to make bread as a young girl. I now took that knowledge and used it in my transition from yeast bread to sourdough bread baking. I began reworking my original yeast recipes into sourdough, experimenting with many different methods and fermenting times. 
In November of 2014, we placed Jordan on the liver transplant list. We had seen his health begin to deteriorate, and transplant was our only option. After only being on the transplant list two and a half months, Jordan received the gift of a liver. This made it possible for him to completely do away with the very restricted diet and formulas. I now could give him healthy food options instead of the sugary artificial foods he had been eating. Greek yogurt became a favorite along with bacon and eggs. These are food items he never previously could eat because of the high protein count. Instead of weekly blood draws, we now do monthly blood work. Jordan's care became much easier to manage. We no longer needed to carry ice chests full of food and formula with us, and our family life took on a new normal. At this time, our evening meal is often a combined fuel category because of the growing children and men with strenuous outside jobs. We are not huge dessert eaters. I keep those for company and special occasions. There are those with medical conditions that do not allow them to maintain a skinny weight. I would encourage you, if you're one of those, don't despair. Eating proper food will still go a long way in helping your body to be healthy. As my husband and I reflect on our years together, through many unknown valleys of medical issues, one thing has remained crystal clear. God was with us each step of the way. When we thought we couldn't go any further, he carried us on eagle's wings. Isaiah 40:31. Blessings on your journey, Glenda Groff. From the blog site Around the Family Table, here is Glenda's no-need whole wheat sourdough bread. Sourdough bread is so fascinating to me. I love to experiment with different ways, methods, and with my large family, they eat it right up. This method is very easy, and the gluten is developed by stretch and folds. It is a simple recipe that only uses five ingredients and is just stirred together using a large spatula or spoon. I found my clay baker at a thrift store for just a few dollars, and I love it. The key to a successful sourdough baking day is a mature starter. You can purchase sourdough starter on my blog, on the Buy It Now page. You will find many more sourdough recipes in the spiral-bound 600-plus page Around the Family Table cookbook. All recipes are sugar-free and labeled with the correct fuel. Books can be purchased using this link on Buy It Now. Here's no-need whole wheat sourdough bread. One and a quarter cups active sourdough starter. One and a half cups water. Three cups white whole wheat flour. Two tablespoons vital wheat gluten. One teaspoon salt. In a large mixing bowl, whisk starter, water, flour, and gluten together until combined. You will have a rough, sticky dough. Allow dough to rest 20 minutes. Add salt. Mix well. Cover and allow it to rise for one hour. Remove lid and gently pick up one side of the dough. Fold it in half. Repeat with all four sides of the dough. Cover and allow to rise for another hour. Repeat two more times for a total of four folding times. Refrigerating ferment. Allow the dough to ferment for a total of five and a half hours at room temperature from the time you mix it until you put the dough in the fridge. Cover and place in the refrigerator for 12 hours or longer. Remove dough from the refrigerator. Shape the following directions below. Room temperature ferment. 
Allow the dough to ferment at room temperature for a total of seven hours from the time you mix it until you shape it to be baked. Shaping. Preheat oven to 425 degrees. I place my clay baker in the oven. The lid and the base on the oven rack to preheat. Press the dough out in a large rectangle. Fold dough in thirds, pinching the edges together to seal the edges. Turn dough and fold in thirds, pinching to seal edges. Lay the loaf on parchment paper. Slash the loaf with a sharp knife. When the oven is preheated, place the loaf and parchment paper in a clay baker. Cover baker with lid. Set the timer for 35 minutes. When the baking time is complete, reduce oven temperature to 350 degrees Fahrenheit. Remove the lid. Bake for an additional 12 minutes. Remove clay baker from oven. Remove loaf to a wire rack to cool. 12 to 14 slices. If you go to her website, you'll see a video that shows the entire process from mixing to baking. If you liked our podcast, please subscribe. This is how we keep going. And please ask your friends to join us. Please also feel free to post any comments or questions to our social media sites. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook under Backyard Green Films. We would like to thank Glinda for joining us this week and for her gracious generosity in allowing us to share her personal story and recipe. If you'd like more information about Glinda and her recipes, please visit AroundTheFamilyTableBlog.com. We'll see you next week with another adventure. You have been listening to Agriculture with your host, Alara Bowman. Please tune in for more upcoming episodes from our travels. I'm Rick Bowman, your behind-the-scenes editor. Until next time. This has been a presentation of Backyard Green Films Productions, all rights reserved, copyright 2021.